Welcome to the Rebuildable Podcast. I'm Matt Gentile, and joining me today is the new co-host of the Rebuildable Podcast. Yes, co-host. If you've been following on Twitter, you know that we announced that we're back, and there's a co-host now. And I'm pleased to welcome from ONTAP Sports and War Media, one of my favorites, Drew Stevens. Drew, welcome to the Rebuildable Podcast. How does it feel like to be a co-host? Matt, it's awesome. It's awesome. For somebody that spent the last chunk of this Bulls season listening to almost every Bulls-centric podcast and somebody that was fortunate enough to be on Re- Rebuild the Bull a couple of times as your guest, this is an opportunity I couldn't pass up, man. I'm ready to have some fun with you this, this season. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here because um, I know you've been one of my favorite guests to have on. I've always loved your work, loved following you on Twitter, and... It just seemed like the right thing to do to have a pot to have a co-host come to this podcast. So um, real quick, just for the listeners, um, they know that I put the podcast on the shelf back in February. And really, at that point, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with it. Um, I started getting that itch around the playoffs and then got another itch as we started getting closer to the you know, off season activities of the finals was winding down and it kept coming into my head that I needed to bring a co-host on. And I've always wanted to explore that option just to kind of keep the conversation fresh. And one of the reasons that I brought drew on and, and, you know, asked him to, to do this is I feel like he's the perfect balance for what I bring. I bring a lot of crazy high in the sky, hypothetical scenarios. I love to talk about off-season minutia, but Drew loves to talk, I think, a little more about the nitty-gritty, about, you know, what's going on game to game, um, really has an eye, I think, for what's going on on the court a lot you know, better than I do. And I just feel like this has the potential to be a really good marriage and a really good direction for this podcast to go in so um just want to let the listeners know why why drew's here but um what are you looking forward to the most true joining the rebuildable podcast um just the opportunity opportunity to, to talk about the bulls outside of writing about them um being able to bounce ideas or just opinions off of you and, and hear what what things that you you may be feeling moving throughout this season. You said that you're somebody that kind of likes the pie in the sky uh, kind of activities or, or thoughts. And I'm somebody that I try to zoom out a lot and take a lot, a lot of things into consideration when we're discussing things about the Bulls, whether it be trades or rotations or starting lineups or predictions about how far this team can go. So I think you're right. I think we do complement each other really well. And I'm just looking forward to to rocking with you, man. It's it's gonna be a fun season. I got into back into writing a couple of years ago. Never thought that some of the doors that have been open to me to walk through in that period of time would ever get here. Um, wasn't really even looking for them. So to be able to have this opportunity to do this with you again, it's it's a blessing. I'm humbled, and I'm just looking forward to it, man. It's gonna be exciting. Contrary to popular belief, this job doesn't pay, though. <laughs> Just want you to know. There's actually no money to be made in most podcasts unless you hook onto a major network. So 
Uh, just apologies up front if I didn't make that known when we talked. Oh, no, it's okay. It's, it's okay. We'll talk about that later. Oh, off, no, off, guys. Uh, improv, yeah, this, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is just a labor of love. Like, I, <laughs> it was funny. Like, I just kind of let the listeners behind the curtain. I think, you know, we, Drew and I talked uh, about this opportunity and, and about, you know, joining forces. And um, I think he had asked me, like, you know, what's my expectation? And I, and I said, I'm here to have fun. I'm here because this is my hobby. And it's my escape from reality to be able to come and talk about the bulls. So, you know, again, I, I don't think there was anybody else that made sense to take the reins as the co-host of Rebuildable. And the other thing too, that I want listeners to know is it is a true co-hosting. Like Drew's not here just to hang out and it's not just Matt Gentile featuring Drew Stevens. It's the two co-hosts of the Rebuildable podcast. I might be the one that steers the ship a little more with questions, lead in, all of that stuff. But Drew's going to have equal amount of input. Things like the music that we play at the intro, the name of the podcast, color schemes, everything. He's going to have input in. So this is going to truly be a partnership. So I want all the listeners to know that right off the bat. I appreciate that, man. See, it is paid. Just, you know, maybe not monetarily. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the name Rebuildable, we can kind of maybe cross that bridge later. It's, you know, Rebuildable. Maybe it needs a, a refresh, that name. It's fine for now. It's a good placeholder, but maybe that'll change. Maybe the colors will change. The logo. And, you know, Drew's going to have that kind of input, too. Like, we're, we both moved into the house together, and now we have to make decisions on what furniture to keep. I like that. I like that analogy, man. I'm pretty easy going, man. I, I don't, I don't, you know... As long as you keep the house cool and the fridge stock, we're pretty good, man. Well, like, what kind of beer are we talking? Ah, like, uh, I'm not. A, I'm not a beer drinker. I'll drink some wine, man, and maybe ooh, some. Okay. Some harder, some harder liquor, maybe. But I'm not really a beer guy, so you don't got to worry about me touching your beer, at least. Okay. Well, what kind of wines, at least? I definitely dip into the wines. Uh, some red wine, some some caps. Yeah, man. That, that's that's pretty much my my alley, man. Not too dry. <laughs> all right all right i i definitely will will crack open a bottle of cab Sauv with you so we also have to look forward to some good draft discussion and drew actually helped book this guest on his first episode as the co-host of the rebuildable podcast we are going to be joined by uh chip jones and chip if you don't follow him on twitter he's at chip jnba and he does an amazing job breaking down different prospects with the draft for thinking basketball and on his YouTube channel, his YouTube channel has outstanding video content. Uh, and if you want some content to catch up on right before the draft, go check it out and you can learn about some of the players that are going to be featured uh, later today and possibly at number 18 for the Chicago bulls. So let's not wait. Let's bring them in right now. Chip, how are you? Welcome to the rebuildable podcast. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk bulls, talk draft stuff. You know, it's both my niches, so I'm looking forward to it. It's awesome to talk to Chip, man. One of my favorite favorite people, one of my favorite basketball minds in the, in the Twitter sphere, in, in the world of basketball. I love the way this gentleman thinks the game and the way he expresses his thoughts as well. Um, we'll get into some of that later with his YouTube channel, but um, awesome to have you on, Chip. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's it's always good. You know, we've, we've been, we've known each other for a while, Drew. So, you know, we go back. So 
tell us, Chip, how did you get started with this whole endeavor with uh, thinking basketball? Um, it's a great YouTube channel with like your YouTube channel is one of my favorites. And you've, I think I've learned a lot watching that, but tell us how you got started with, uh, with that channel and uh, how it's kind of taken off from there. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I was, I was just kind of looking into basketball stuff and then I started writing and, uh, those started going well. And then I kind of realized like, I didn't really love writing. And like, it felt like in my articles, I was trying to do as much to get like visual examples into like, so I didn't have to write. And then I was like, maybe I should just do visual content and <laughs> instead. So I started doing my own YouTube stuff on NBA draft. Um, you know, I posted a video about Chad Holmgren as my first video. I was really, really hoping it would get like a thousand views. I would have felt really good. Uh, and then now it has like 30,000. So that went really well. <laughs> and, uh, you know, stuff just started snowballing from there. And then, uh, you know, I was, I had a couple, a couple job gigs kind of lined up. And so thinking basketball people were one of those things. And I really liked that I got to, you know, keep my creative freedom and stuff. So I, I took that and I started working for Ben and haven't looked back since, you know. Yeah, man, that's 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 awesome because that was one of the things that kind of drew me to you just with your writing, the things that you put together with it. Like you used to talk about the visuals, you kind of like the rapper and the producer. So, um, kind of seeing it come through in the videos that you are producing is awesome, man. Um, but looking ahead to with the Bulls, we've we've heard a few names being mentioned. Who do you see as kind of the realistic realistic options for them um, at eighteen? There's a lot of ways you could go. I think um, like. Off the top, I think EJ Liddell gets brought up all the time. Um, you know, Liddell's really solid player. And I think in terms of, like, having a guy that's, like, already really good and just kind of, like, fits the need exactly, like, on both ends of the court, he just does things like, you know, he rebounds well. He's got good size. He's kind of a secondary rim protector as, like, a more of a 3-4 kind of power forward, I guess you could say. And so, you know, having him and Pat as kind of your forward rotation would be, like, a, a big upgrade on kind of what we had last year. It's going to give us a lot more size on the wings. You know, he can knock down three-point shots, and he's just, like, generally a, a smart decision-maker, which is something that, you know, AK and Billy have really liked. And then the other thing I would say is if that – I have actually done this. I've done a – I've done – you know, you do, like, the draft board where you, like, rank prospects, but also some people do a vibes board where you, like, rank them on, like, how like how positive the vibes are. EJ is a consensus top two for me. He's, he's up there. Like, he's a really funny guy. Everyone loves him. So, I mean – would be a nice nice guy to get to root for, you know? For sure. For sure. Is there anybody else that you think might be available to them that kind of catching your eye at 18? Oh, I mean, there's there's plenty that catches my eye going on. I've been uh I'm a I'm a really big fan of Marjan Bochamp. I've been I've been spreading the Marjan Bullchamp, um Bullchamp of uh kind of propaganda as much as I can. Uh, you know. I think there's a lot of there's just, this draft is really wide open and with all the picks that are kind of getting like floated around as trade possibilities it's like it's crazy anything can happen so I mean there's a lot of different options I know um Josh Minot from Memphis is someone that the Bulls have brought in and kind of um you know it's been rumored that they're they like him a lot it kind of would be a reach for where he's currently projected but he's the type of guy that could like fly up just because it's like He's really young. He didn't start in college, but he was like per minute extremely productive. And he's like six eight, long arms, can kind of handle the ball. It's like that, you know, upside swing kind of thing, like Pat, where he kind of flew up out of nowhere. I would not be surprised if my not like all of a sudden by tomorrow it was like, yeah, like six teams have him lotto and they're all trying to skip up to get him. One name that I keep seeing float around in the team spot, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about him, is Jalen Williams. Do you think that would be a good fit for the Bulls at eighteen? 
So just to just to clarify at the at the start here, there are two Jalen. There's a Jalen with a Y and a Jalen with like J A L E N and J A Y L I N. Both of them kind of get. I'm assuming you mean the the, the wing from Santa Clara. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's also an Arkansas center and an Auburn forward that are all three named Jalen Williams this year. So that was fun for us. Um, no, so Jalen from Santa Clara. Um, he's someone that kind of like draft people have had an eye on all year, where he was like a smaller conference player. And then, you know, it kind of comes to the end of the year and you start getting to look at guys that you maybe didn't get enough time to put into during the regular season. And I think people kind of notice how cool he is because he's really he's a really smart player. Like his kind of main thing at, at Santa Clara was running the pick and roll as like a six six forward kind of wing player. Right. Um, so, I mean, he's got a lot of really good pacing and he's really smart and he has, you know, he went to the combine. He measured his wingspan as plus nine and three quarters. So he's like six six with like seven four or he's like i think he's like six five without shoes like a seven four wingspan or something crazy like that so i mean you know he's got like a bunch of tools i personally do have some concerns i know a lot of people have been throwing him up in the lotto i have him a bit later than the bulls pick just because i think like defensively there's some athleticism stuff where he's not great and like defensively i think he he's like i don't think this is about a lot of prospects but i think he's like problematically bad like it's gonna cause issues to put him on the court because he's so bad defensively, and I think it can be improved because he has like the the wingspan and he's a smart player. But right now it's not as great, and he's one of the older players, he's a three year player, so he's already twenty one. So I have a little bit of concerns, but he's still a very cool and exciting prospect. Is it is it more so his on ball defense that worries you, like being able to stick with more kind of explosive, fast burst? Yeah, yeah, I would say that it's also like a big problem is the closeouts and with how common that is in the NBA where it's, you know, it's so much drive and kick stuff. That's pretty scary for me. And especially because if you were playing forward for the Bulls, because I mean, our guard room's crowded. So if we're drafting a guy with his size, we'll probably put him to forward. Our forwards have to operate a lot like off ball and make a lot of decisions, which might be a little bit better for him. But there's also a lot of covering ground on the wing. And he on his closeouts really struggles like you know, when I watch him play, I just think like the whole time because he he struggles to like get up to his man and he doesn't change direction super well. So I just every time I'm looking, I think about like what if Desmond Bain is on him where he just loves going for that super deep kind of like double step step back thing. Like he's never anyone with a step back is just going to target him and score, like get a wide open shot every time. And then you also mentioned the first person you mentioned when we talked about when we asked you about the realistic options for the Bulls was EJ Liddell. You talked to us about some of the positive things he offers the Bulls and their rotation. Is there anything that worries you about you about him? Any concerns you might have about him? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the the biggest thing with Liddell is like his role at Ohio State is just so different from what he's going to do at the NBA. And I mean, like I would be pretty confident in saying he's gonna he's gonna translate well. But like at Ohio State, he was kind of like more of an offensive engine as like a post up player. And with the Bulls, I mean, he's not going to be getting a ton of post touches. So, I mean, it's going to be like hitting corner threes. And also, like, with his shot profile at Ohio State, he took a lot of threes from above the break, but not a lot in the corners, which is probably something he'd have to do in the NBA. So there's that, like, slight concern of maybe that won't um, translate, per se. So there's a little bit of concern. But, I mean, generally, I wouldn't be too worried about it because eventually, like, realistically, you just want him there because he's, you know, he's smart and he's going to play good defense and He's a good enough shooter to knock down the threes, but it might take a little bit of adjustment for him. And he's a little bit on the older side, and I don't think there's a ton of like high-level potential, per se. One guy that uh, I know you did a profile on that I really enjoyed was uh, Tari Eason from LSU. You know, just a guy that 
I feel like has a lot of awesome defensive traits, guy that can get out on the floor on a fast break. You broke down the improving three-point shot as the year went on. What do you think about him as a potential fit for the Bulls? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it, it's been kind of surprising because coming into when the draft season kind of started to pick up, Eason was pretty consensus as like a lottery guy. And then he's kind of fallen off as since. So, I mean, now it's like all of a sudden he's kind of realistic for the Bulls, maybe. Um, I, I have some concerns with Tari. I think there's for the first part, he's like a, a bit on the older side because he's a second year player. And I think he was a bit older for a second year player. So, again, like similar to Liddell, you're not getting like an 18, 19 year old. You're getting like a 21 year old. But I mean, the defensive stuff is great, and I think he's going to be really good defensively. I do have some concerns about the offense. He shows some cool flashes like passing, but he turns the ball over a lot, and I think he kind of maybe processes the game a step slower. His three-point shot was at a good percentage, and his free-throw percentage suggests that it'll be very good in the NBA, but he was really low volume, which is just a little scary because, you know, if he can't go out there and hit the three, I mean, we've seen it where we put players in the wing and they're phenomenal defensively, but we get those lineups where it's like DeMar plus four defensive guys who don't really offer anything offensively and it gets a bit kind of like the offense kind of stagnates i'd be a little worried about tari doing that because offensively his go-to game plan is just run through people because he's just so athletic and big and strong and you know that's great but in terms of our kind of needs like spacing wise that's a little bit concerning for me is there anybody who could potentially be available around that portion of the draft who you really are not keen on the bulls drafting um yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple guys. Um, I'm trying to think in terms of like the where the consensus is at. Hold up, I try and I'm pretty big. I'm like not getting too many outside opinions, so I always have to check back in to see because sometimes I'll say something. And, oh, okay, yeah. So I mean, there's a there's a few guys in that area. So one is I guess I'll just throw it out as like a general thing, but mainly like Mark Williams. Like if any of the centers kind of fall to 18, I I personally have some issues. So. Like Mark Williams, part of the first thing is like his upper body's really built and he's really tall, but his lower body's kind of thin. So then he's really top heavy with his movement. So like when he gets if if someone can get him leaning in a certain direction, he kind of like like is forced forward, like gravity pulls him that way. And so when people are changing directions, he struggles a bit with that. And then in terms of like being an actual rim protector, it kind of feels like at Duke, um, he's more like if an opponent makes a mistake, he's going to punish it, but he doesn't actually, if they like, if the opponent does what they should do properly, he doesn't actually really stop anything. Cause if, again, if you get your chest into him, cause it's kind of like, you know, when drivers are going up, they need to bump the rim protector. Cause if you don't bump them, they'll just swallow you up. Right. It because of that, like top heavy stuff. Like if he gets bumped, he's really easy for like small guards to kind of put under the rim. And I think that's something that can be fixed long-term. But just with how kind of – I don't really buy that he makes your offense more dynamic. And then if the defensive stuff takes some time, that's just a little concerning for me and kind of the whole, you know, centers a replacement level idea. I just think that that's like a replaceable player and you could buy a second-round pick and take like a Christian Coloco or a Khalifa Diop and probably get similar results to him. So I probably wouldn't just – like I think he's a fine player. I just wouldn't take him in the like early first, mid first. So there's been, I know, a few rumblings around the Bulls and maybe packaging number 18. We've heard about Kobe White being packaged with number 18. There's also been the rumblings about Rudy Gobert and maybe packaging that pick, Patrick Williams, etc. Um, what kind of a deal are you comfortable including that pick with? Is there 
a comfort level you would have with moving that pick and, and what would it be for? You can push yourself to a slightly higher level of contender, I think. And that has some value, but I also think there's like kind of limitations on the current Bulls roster where in terms of being like a true genuine, like top two team in the East, in terms of like playoff viability, I kind of have some concerns. So I kind of, the way I view their current roster is it's, it's just a, you know, kind of helping the Bulls kind of the front office can show that they care about winning and they care about player empowerment and they know how to build a winning team. And also, you know, I think one thing that's really big is you look back at the last roster and it's like in terms of player development, I think the Bulls current roster is so much more conducive to having our players develop. You look at guys like Io, Pat at the end of the season, um, Kobe White had that really strong stretch in the middle of the year where those guys showed a lot of genuine growth this season, which we weren't really seeing necessarily before this. You know, you look at like two years ago and, you know, Wendell Carter looks better in Orlando than he did here, but like how did we really realistically expect Wendell Carter to become better as a pick and roll defender when his low man is Larry Markinen and his point of attack defenders are Kobe White and Zach Levine? Like, what is he learning? Because everyone around him is getting burnt and not helping him. So, like, what is he going to do? That's not, that's not realistic to expect him to get better. So, I mean, I kind of look at it as right now as, like, having someone like DeMar who can create an advantage, it's really good for developing players because realistically most of the guys on the roster – running a pick and roll is not something they're going to do in the playoffs. They're going to sit in the corner and it's like, make the right decision on shooting or driving or passing. Right. That's the kind of stuff that I think they need to develop in and having someone like DeMar that can consistently create an advantage and get them in those situations to attack closeouts and stuff is good for development. And one thing I look at is like Detroit. It's great that Sadiq Bay took 300 pull-up jumpers and 150 pick and rolls and scored 50 in a game against the magic or something. But like, realistically in three years when Cade drags in the playoffs, he's going to get his ass sat in the corner. And it's like, is that, was this year really helpful for him sitting in the corner? Cause I feel like it really wasn't. So then that's kind of the way I view it is I, if you can get like a younger guy that you can develop and kind of grow with the team, it's good. But if you're going for like a win now, like we're going to win a title, I think unless you're making like massive changes, I'm not really sure that I think this team's going to win a title with like Zach, Damar, Vooch and like, like Jeremy Grant just got traded, but if you added a player at that level, I don't think it actually does anything really. So that, so kind of going off of that, um, how are you feeling about the rumors involving the Bulls looking at Rudy Gobert and whether or not they are going to put Patrick Williams in a deal for him? Yeah, I mean, I would, I would not trade Pat for Rudy Gobert, and like that's, I- I'll put this out here like right away, like you know, you can disagree with me on this or whatnot. I think Rudy Gobert is like a top 15 player in the league. I think he'd be our best player if we got him. He, I think he's better than Tamar and Zach in terms of like impact on winning basketball games. Like he's very, very good. He's like maybe the best screener in the league. He's one of the best rim runners and finishers in the league. He's probably the best defender in the league. I, don't talk about the playoff stuff. I, I'll have an aneurysm. Like going from having Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley as your perimeter guys to having Alex Caruso and Lonzo Ball, it's going to look a lot different. Like, no. Okay. So, I mean, I, I think he'd be a phenomenal get and he'd be a, like our best player. But I think in terms of like trading Pat, there aren't, there aren't a lot of guys in the NBA that can shoot. They can like knock down a jumper and can dribble so they can create their own shot and can pass and create shots for others. All of which Pat has shown he can do at a high level at different points, right? Like if you really look at the end of last season, you know, when he had that I think he had like 15 or something against Miami. He had 35 against Minnesota. He had 20 in the playoffs twice. 
he really starts putting that thing together. And, you know, we know he can hit the mid range. The three point shots were a little reluctant, but he's shown that he can make that. And his finishing really stepped up. There aren't guys that can do all of those things and are like forward sized and are like very athletic and can play defense and aren't like all star level players. Right. And he's 20. So, I mean, I think trading Pat to get Gobert, I don't think DeMar and Gobert wins you a title. So I'm not really sure I see the point in that because I think Pat is probably one of the two best assets on the team along with Zach. I I get what you're saying. I like the potential of Pat. It's just, I I'm, guess I'm not with you there on him showing those abilities consistently. Yeah, I I'm think that's I'm kind of in fair. that camp where, yeah, and I, I think I'm kind of in that camp where I'd be... I think I'd be willing to pull that trigger, but I'm pulling that trigger knowing that it might get me a little bit closer to a title by maybe giving me to the second round, Eastern Conference Finals. And then from there, I'm trying to improve the team every year after, knowing that I do have the contracts that I could potentially move to. Like, I don't think Rudy Gobert becomes an immovable contract. Like, we've kind of seen this with um, with Russell Westbrook. I do think like you do get closer to a title just by improving being in win now mode. And then you kind of build from there by maybe pieces. So I guess here's my, here's my question to you on that. Matt, right. So in terms of yeah. DeMar having, having problems in the playoffs, so we've seen it with Toronto and we saw it a little bit this year, right? The big problem, what Cleveland did against Toronto, because I did a big study on this for Ben. We were thinking about making a DeMar video, but we ran out of time for it. Um, his big problem was Cleveland would blitz him on the pick and roll, right? They would just blitz him. He would get ball screens. They would blitz him. And he had to make a decision to like pass it off and make it, let his teammates beat the other team. And he didn't he, like making those decisions wasn't the best for him. And his teammates couldn't really consistently find the offense off of that. Right. And in the game that the bulls won against the bucks, the bucks were switching on those pick and rolls. He got Giannis isoed on the perimeter and he's hit jumpers against Giannis a few times. That's how he won the game. Next game, they come back and they start blitzing him and he starts struggling again, right? We saw in the finals right mm -hmm. now with that kind of dynamic of Steph Curry, they were playing drop against him, right? And he kept torching him and they switched to blitzing towards the end because they couldn't let him shoot. And that let Draymond play in the short roll. That was the reason Boston didn't play that blitz. They were playing the drop because they were like, okay, if we play the drop, only Steph can beat us because we cut off Draymond. He's an offensive nothing. We can help off of him, right? But when they started blitzing, that short roll thing opened, right? So Bulls get to the playoffs. DeMar gets blitzed. Rudy Gobert's the PNR partner. Now you're putting Gobert, you want to put Gobert in the short roll because do you want yeah, Gobert and I, passing and making decisions? Because that's the that's what's going to happen because DeMar is going to get blitzed and then Rudy Gobert doesn't thrive in the situation where his ball handler is getting blitzed. I mean, it's never, here's the thing, you're never going to have it perfectly solved. But I also know that if you get matchups where you're going up against Joel Embiid in the Eastern Conference, I do think that there's something that Rudy Gobert brings to your your team defensively that you're lacking right now. Because I've seen plenty of times where the Bulls are getting torched in the paint and having somebody like a Rudy Gobert, I think does improve you on that end of the floor tremendously. Like, and I, I get it. Like They're going to have to make other moves too, though, to help improve the roster. Like if you're going to add a, a Rudy Gobert, I think you're going to have to find other help to, you know, space the floor too. Like there's going to have to be moves you make, but I'm just saying like, I'm not, to me, I'm not worried about giving up a Patrick Williams for a one year kind of evaluation with Rudy Gobert. And then seeing if I have potentially other moves to make, like the one thing I'm confident in our tourist, Karnaschovas, Mark Eversley are always going to be 
in consistent evaluation mode and always making improvements. So if, if that became an issue where then I think they're more apt to make some type of change along the way. Yeah, I, I guess my concern there would be is Rudy Gobert, the only way that he's ever been valuable offensively is being a pick and roll role man. And DeMar, the only way he's ever been valuable offensively is operating with the ball in his hands, operating ISOs and pick and rolls. So you get two players where DeMar has a clear weakness. We are well aware this is his exact weakness. And you're trading a bunch of assets to get a player who is a would be our best player. I, I think I'm not, it's not like some I don't think Gobert's good. I think he'd be our best player. I think mm -hmm. he'd be the best player we've had in a long time. But with that being said, you have an exact, we already know what a problem is for DeMar and you're getting someone that like makes us better, but also adds to that problem. It just makes that problem worse. So I don't really see the value in that, I guess. Yeah, just to spill out my two cents, I've been kind of going back and forth on this, man. I'm kind of seeing both sides of the argument, but what I keep coming back to is just that maybe the Bulls would be best served hanging on to Vooch this last year of his deal just because of what he can do for them in the half court, especially if it, he can get his, his shot to, to drop more often than not last year. I think he was, what, 30, 31% from three. Um, it dropped way off from the year before. But um, not even just the, the, the shooting, just the playmaking that he can offer off of those pick and rolls with DeMar, off of those pick and rolls with Zach. Um, he's a pretty good decision maker. He hits the right man more, more often than not when he does get the ball. Granted, he's not somebody that's going to explode and attack, um, you know, would-be rim defenders. But I think he he does serve a purpose. And although he's not the defender, nowhere near the defender that Rudy is, he just gives you some things that, as, for as good of a player as, as Rudy is, you know, Vooch has him beat in other areas. And I think they'd be better served as, as keeping as many assets as they can get and just maybe trying to find a, a backup for him. Um, and seeing how they can kind of stick with this idea of continuity that AK has preached um, since the season ended. I just, um, I have a star <laughs> feather. It's a problem. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, he's great. But the, the, the thing is, you have, to, you have to get rid of DeMar if you're going for Rudy. My bull's wet dream is. Sure. It's, it's that you, 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 you end up getting Rudy Gobert. You have Zach Levine. And then you're able last year of DeMar's contract to somehow, somehow get Kevin Durant. I think that's what I'm, you know, like, I think I'm holding out hope. But I also have a sick problem. So. <laughs> no, I mean, if you definitely, if you get, if you're getting KD for some DeMar combo and you get like that, I'm, if that's the case, then like, yeah, they, yeah I'll punt yeah. Pat off a bridge for that. But like, you know, I, I'm just, I, if they have that lined up, I just feel like, Part of it is like our previous front office, the PR was so bad. Like it was horrible. Yeah. No one wanted to play for us. And then yeah. DeMar like comes in and saves us. And if you just trade him, I feel like that's such a PR nightmare. I think though the league understands if it's Durant. Yeah, if it's Durant. Durant, it's Durant <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you trade him for, I don't know, Christian Wood in a package of picks, then yeah, that's... Yeah, so that's my thing. But I, I really do, I really do believe in in Pat. I, I'm, you know, I know I'm really, I'm real high on him. But like, it's basically been like the whole, the whole problem with Pat, right? Was that like, his, he was, he was always had way more skill than he was able to show. Like he had things he was good at, and, and like, 
there was the there was the aggression stuff and there, it's like it's just it's a slight thing there's a little bit with the aggression but like part of it is that he's a good jump shooter but not like phenomenal right but then he couldn't get to the rim so it's like his scoring had to rely on a, a diet of jump shots and he's like smart you know he's not dumb and he knows he's not that good of a jump shooter so he doesn't want to take a bunch of jump shots because he's like this isn't very efficient because he's like, I'd rather have Zach take a step back than me take like a mid-range, right? But when he got hurt, he came back and his flexibility got like massively increased. So if you look at like the Minnesota game and the Miami game and those Milwaukee games, he's like contorting around defenders to get finishes at the rim. Like that Minnesota game, he scored 35. He shot like, I think like one of six on shots that weren't in the paint. So it's like now that he can get those finishes, all of a sudden that scoring can happen now, right? And he has, like, the passing. He has the athleticism. He has the the shooting is, you know, it's still a work in progress. But, like, the percentage-wise, it's good. And, like, those mid-ranges, he's really good. And I think, um, you know, even in his rookie year, there's something where it's, like, uh, you know, rookies who have taken, like, 100 pull-up twos, his percentage was on pull-up twos was the highest of anyone over 6'5" since like the NBA has been tracking pull-ups on their website, the next guys who are above 6'5 that are closest are Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Lam- um, Lamelo Ball, and Jason Tatum. Those are like the three behind him. So like wow. in terms of like what Pat can do, because the thing is the scoring couldn't be consistent, but now it can be. And that changes everything. Because then the passing, like if, if he's collapsing the defense, the passing's easy, and he can do that. I I, I kind of hope that's the case. I'm hoping. Because like, there is a lot I like about Patrick. I want to see like that one season of it being put together. And, you know, honestly, the, the injuries didn't help. Like if it, if he didn't get hurt this past season, we might've seen that. Yeah. You know? and I'll say the, the one big thing I'd, I'd like, I'd go look back on is like, remember when he came out of Florida state, there was that photo where those quads were like the massive quad thing. That was part yeah. of the reason that he had trouble with his mobility. They've been working on that. If you look at him now and look at him then, his quads are smaller and he worked on like kind of his hip flexors and his calves to get bigger because he had this big muscular imbalance in his lower body that made him move like a tank. So like they worked on kind of the upper body flexibility so he can kind of bend because, you know, when you're driving through the lane, you got to be like water kind of contorting around defenders and stuff. They worked on that. And the lower body stuff. So now he's a bit more, he's just so much more fluid and mobile now. So, I mean, when you, when you add that, that changes like everything, everything in the way he moves is, is different now. He can definitely unlock a lot with this team. Just if he continues to, to get better and, and grow as a player. And how much, what do you think about Billy Donovan and the way that he's used Pat the last couple of years? You think there could be some um, improvement there too? Yeah, I mean, I feel like year one, Billy couldn't really do shit. Like, what what was he going to do with the lineups? Like, it's like his first guys on the bench were like Lowry and Denzel Valentine. Like, what were you really going to do with that? You can't. But I think, like, if you look at, like, those games before Pat got hurt, especially, I think, the, the Detroit game, the start of the Toronto game, and there was a little stretch in the New York game, but mainly that Detroit game, um, they let him run a bunch of short roll with DeMar where Detroit would blitz DeMar, they'd give it to Pat, and he made a bunch of really nice passes. He had a nice mid-range self-created thing. So, I mean, they were getting creative, and they would run these – they love running the 77 action, which everyone loved doing. It's like you bring the ball up in transition, and then these two screeners kind of come up and go in, so it's like a seven. Like they basically draw a seven where they come in, and then they go to the side a bit, right? They would love – they loved running that, and they started doing these like kind of flips on it. Billy – Billy actually invented this idea. It's named Oklahoma after 
um, Billy, where the, they run that 77 and then the first screener runs around the second screener. So the second screener sets a screen for the first screener and they were running Pat. They would run Damar across Vooch and Pat. Pat would kick back out for that. And they started running that for him. And there's another thing Billy invented because he's really offensively creative um, called a thunder cut, which is basically what they ran for KD in Oklahoma city, where it's kind of like a, you know, at the baseline, you have a screener at the block, you kind of come around them for a mid-range jumper. They started running that for Pat. So I think there's a lot of ways they were trying to use and then he got hurt, came back, was more flexible, all of a sudden started scoring a bunch of points. I, I really think like next season, at least like don't trade him for like, give him a month, give him one month to show his worth <laughs> at least. Kind of switching gears here is the Chet Holmgren and Ben Chero and Jabari Smith Jr. We pretty much know that they're going to be the first three picks off the board tomorrow. In your mind, what order do you see those three guys going in? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the million-dollar question. Um, I, honestly, I, I'm still really not sure. I know how I view them, but I'm not sure how NBA teams view them. Um, I, I'm not sure what the smoke screens are and what's not happening. I do know the betting odds for Paolo going number one have, like, shot up the last few days. Like, he was, like, plus 1,600, and now he's, like, plus 120 to go number one. So, I mean, I, I really think, like, even the betting people who are, like, that's their job to just be studying that and running algorithms on that all day and getting any leak of info they can on that, they're not even sure. So, I mean, I, I truly think, like, if from a fan perspective, I have no idea what they're thinking. There's chatter around teams I know moving up and one of them being Houston. So, they sit at number three, but I have two questions. Um, you think they would be interested in trading – numbers 17 and 26 to move up into the top 10 and if so what players do you think might fit that rebuild yeah i mean that's an interesting one i think from my perspective there's like nine guys at the top that i think there's like a once you get past like nine i think that's where like the the guys who i'm like extremely confident in kind of end so i think if you can get up into that nine by moving away other picks i think one thing that's important to look at is like from 2010 to 2017, all those players have, you know, gone on from their rookie contracts and they're on bigger contracts now. On average, about 20 players get a non-league minimum guaranteed contract per draft out of the 60 that get drafted. And about like 18, 19 of them are playing like 20 or more minutes per game after the rookie contract. So, I mean, when you're looking at like pick 27, like in theory, that's not even, if that's the 27th best guy, that's not even a guy who's getting 20 minutes per game, right? So if you can get a, a top 10 pick, for sure, I would do that. All right, Chip. So you talked to us about, in terms of the Bulls draft, EJ, EJ Liddell and a few other prospects. Give us your prediction. Who are they taking tomorrow? If they use the pick, or I'm saying if, if they aren't picking for another team, <laughs> who are they Who are they selecting and, and why? Um, you know, I, I would love to say Marjan Bochamp, that's who I'd pick. And it's someone they worked out. I think it's someone they'd be interested in. But I've just been getting the feeling recently. I, I really, I don't know, I don't know why I'm getting this. But I really think they're just gonna reach and grab Josh Minot from Memphis. Um, you know, he's 19 years old. He's I think like six eight with like a seven plus wingspan. So I mean, you know, they've picked smart, uh, rangy, athletic, defensive positives. That's kind of been their thing. And I think Minot kind of fits that to a T. He also has these interesting physical traits where. You know, he gets really good kind of biomechanically. His acceleration, his running mechanics are really good. And then he's really good at um, getting 
you know, high getting vertical off one foot in traffic, which in terms of like guys who are, you know, driving to the basket, that's like the, that's the thing that like makes stars versus not stars. So that's kind of the thing with my odyssey is that one trait of like getting up off one foot in traffic. So you can finish at the rim off a drive. That's like big. And like guys don't usually have that. And, you know, he was off the bench at Memphis and their team was kind of a mess. Things were moving around the season, but you know, defensively like his block and steal numbers were off the charts per minute he passes the ball pretty well he's like a competent handler he doesn't really shoot right now which is why he's not that high but it's a big time upside swing it fits their their kind of mantra there's been a couple reports saying that they're really they really like him they brought him in for a workout so i I don't know why i just feel like they're gonna i feel like Minot might be their guy Chip, thank you for coming on. Real quick for our listeners, can you tell them where they can find you, uh, where your YouTube channel is, and also just on social media? Yeah, of course. I mean, all my stuff gets posted on Twitter at ChipJNBA. Um, I have YouTube, ChipJNBA. And then also, I, I do a lot of work with Thinking Basketball. So, you know, if you're not already following Thinking Basketball YouTube channel, it's really good. We do NBA content covering a wide range of topics. There's there's a lot of us working there now. So, you know, we're getting a lot of content out. Um We've got a ton of playoff content out. We have a bunch of historical content coming out over the summer during the, while the season's off. And we're going to have a bunch of content coming as soon as we get in next season, you know, so uh, catch up. I mean, any of my stuff will be either there or on my Twitter, chip JNBA. So anything like that. And you, you got me. Yes. Subscribe to his channel. You will learn a lot. Trust me. We'll spring you loose chip. Appreciate it again. Thank you so much for your time and keep up the great work. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It was a good time. All right. So, Before we close this out real quick, Drew, who do you have at number 18 for the Chicago Bulls? Who do you think it's going to be? Oh, man. Um, I think it's going to be Liddell. Although I'm I'm also high on Tari Eason, I feel a little bit more comfortable with EJ Liddell and his flaws versus Eason and his flaws. Almost similar to Ayo Desumu and Sharif Cooper last year. It's not you know, apples to apples, but in a similar vein where a lot of Bulls Nation was looking at Sharif Cooper as the guy that the Bulls front office should have paid um, and ended up going with Ayo Desumu, somewhat of a more of a ready-made player and someone who fit the team's needs perhaps better or maybe now that we've seen it for sure better. I'm kind of along those same lines with EJ Liddell. Um you know, he's been compared to Grant Williams and the P.J. Tuckers of the world, but he's a better athlete than those two gentlemen are, and I think he can come in and, and fill an immediate need for the team. So that's who I'm kind of looking at right now uh, going into Thursday's draft is the Bulls picking E.J. Liddell out of Ohio State. Mm, that was my pick. I think that's who the, who's going to end up being the pick at 18. Um, I would love it to be Tari Eason. Like, I just love the potential that's there. You know, there is this thought that creeps into my head, though. I feel like there's those comparisons that are very easy to Tyrus Thomas. Oozing athleticism, high potential defensively, LSU. But, you know, if it's at 18, I feel like it's a little more palatable. And um, I don't know. I feel like if Patrick Williams doesn't work out, this could be your potential fallback plan. So I think the pick will be EJ Liddell. But... Like, if, if Eason's there, I hope they take him. Yeah, I, I don't think they could go wrong either direction. That's that's really why I want them – I'm hoping that they use the pick, depending on what are the options they may have before them. But I think that they – either way, they can get somebody that can help them. I just I just think that 
EJ Liddell may be a little, a little in a, a little more position, better position to, to do that next year. Agreed. And I, I do think like your comparison kind of like to the IO Desumu pick. I, I see that a lot where this is somebody that could come in, I think be a consistent contributor almost right off the bat and something that this team needs. And I think it helps create some added depth too. Um, before we wrap up here, thoughts, first podcast in the books, how did it feel? It, it feels good. It feels good. Um, some things we gotta, we'll, we'll work on, we'll get better at, yeah. uh, myself specifically just, um, learning the co-host game. This, this is my preseason, I guess you could say. So I'm, I'm trying to get better for you, Matt. <laughs> no, no. Hey, look, it's, it's me too. Like, Hey, I've been rusty. I haven't been on the mic in <laughs> five months, four months. Plus, I mean, having a co-host, it's a totally different ball game. So we're going to look at the film and then we're, we'll reevaluate and we'll be better next time. We'll be back and better than ever next time. Okay. I like, I like that. Yeah, like, we just gotta go. We gotta go study the film, like the coaches say, right? <laughs> That's All right. right. Well, this was awesome with Drew Stevens. I'm Matt Gentile. Thanks for joining us, Bulls Nation. We'll be back soon. Thank you for listening to the Rebuildable Podcast. Be sure to check us out and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever else you stream your podcasts.